Welcome everybody to episode 156 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. My name is Ben. And I am David. And in this podcast, we're talking about Blood Tide, a big finish release from July 2001. So we're 2001 stepping release. back to the Wayback Machine a little bit. Yeah, full 19 so years ago. Yep. Yeah. It was a 22nd release on the main range, so the 22nd Doctor Who story that they did. With uh, Colin Baker and uh, Maggie Stables. Yep, and this is the first big finish written by Johnny Morris, Jonathan Morris, who has quite the byline credit in a Doctor Who magazine. He does quite a bit of the research, uh, kind of the, on the same level of Big Null and Pixley, going back yep. and doing research, and an author in his own right. Uh, before Blood Time came out, he had a BBC novel coming out, Festival of Death, highly regarded, Fourth Doctor, Romana, and K-9 novel. Did you ever pick that one up? I have not read the Festival of Death, or, less, or if I have, I don't remember okay. It's reportedly be good, so if we want to read another book in the Metabilis 2 podcasting, we that might be a good one to pick up. Yeah, so I'll have to look that up. Yeah, so I have the CD. Mm-hmm. You have the you have the downloads. Yep. My CD is, I'm very proud to say, is signed by Jonathan Morris. Oh, excellent. It's also signed by Colin Baker. Ooh. It's also signed by Jane Goddard, <laughs> and it's also signed, sadly, given that she's no longer with us, mm. um, by Maggie Stables. Yeah. That's quite the haul. The artist who played the Merca didn't sign it? No, the artist who played the Merca didn't sign it. Uh, that's um, a shame. Who, who does play the Merca? Rob Shearman. Oh, did Rob Shearman play the Merca? <laughs> oh, he did play the Merca. You're correct. Because, <laughs> of course, as we established last time we did this, Jane Goddard was, is, was, is. still is his um, lady, uh, lady wife. Yep. This is her second role in Big Finish after Alicia Mulholland in The Maltese Penguin, I believe. Yeah, his murka, his murka sounds, I think, were very effective. Mm-hmm. Kind of reclaimed the murka. This reclaimed the murka as a threat. Reclaimed it and made made the murka his own. He had his own take on it. And I guess he was combined with a, a actor named William Johnson, which I have found no other credit for. And I'm wondering if that was an insider big finish joke that this person probably didn't exist and just how the murka was a two-actor act with the pantomime right. horse in warriors of the deep i'm wondering if william johnson is not fictitious that 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 makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um i did look up the um blood tide in my big book big finish Ooh. unfortunately there's not a lot of stuff about blood tide sadly that it's hmm. it, the, the the section about blood tide is really only um, it's mainly just a big interview with Jonathan Morris saying, you know, this is the first thing he wrote yep. for Big Finish and he had a bunch of ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is evident. He, it was brimming with ideas in the story. Yeah, he wanted to do, he originally wanted to do Sea Devils, but then he was told he had to do Silurians. Mm-hmm. He originally wanted to, to go back into Silur- Silurian times using time travel, um, then didn't do that. He didn't want to do historical to begin with, but then got convinced he originally they were going to take one of the Silurians back to Victorian London, kind of hmm. Elephant Man style. Hmm. Um, and he was glad he didn't do that. It's just a big interview with Jonathan Morris, basically. Hmm. Not a lot of nuggets, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of nuggets. Not the not the inner. What was you know what was how how did uh, Sherman approach the role of the Merca? What what no, kind of mindset it, it, he was getting into? And... Yeah, it doesn't even say. Um, <laughs> Um, that he played. Oh, yes, it does. It does. I beg your pardon. Robert Sherman, the Merca. There it is. Mm-hmm. Robert Sherman and William Johnston. I didn't read this bit. Yeah. The Merca, the Merca. Yes. Yep. So uh, that's that's all I have from my big book of Big Finish. So a little bit skint there. Yes. 
Hmm. Well, we'll have to fill in with our own fascinating facts. Really? We will. <laughs> um, what did we think? Um, I remember not liking it the first time I listened to it. Oh, really? I think that fit with the fan consensus at the time, if I recall. It was a little bit panned. I felt I was slightly happier with it this time around. Hmm. Yeah. So it aged better than the first reaction. I think so, yeah. I mean, it was... There's, he'd obviously done a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Oh. There was a lot mm-hmm. of... Um, of Miles, Miles Richardson being Charles Darwin right. and talking about theories of evolution um, at great right. length. Not at great length, but at, at regular intervals throughout <laughs> the story, Charles Darwin says something about the theory, his theories of evolution. Right. Yes, and it was evident that Morris is a great researcher in DWM and that approach to writing certainly came across in the script. There was quite a bit of research done in it. Um just from the characters that we had with Governor Lawson, who was governor at the time, we have Captain Robert Fitzroy, we had uh, Beagle, the B- HMS Beagle, Charles Darwin. So we had uh, they had the bits with the penal colony, referencing to the lakes and Galapagos, the different turtles, yep. the Melville quote from Encadas, the Enchanted Isles, uh, the Galapagos Isles. Yeah, that's a Herman Melville deep cut. I never didn't even know he'd even written a story about the Galapagos Islands. Yeah, so the bit where the doctor comes in right out of the TARDIS, he's quoting from the first sketch, um, The Isles at Large, and it's a good quote, which it's being used as dialogue, and Maggie, uh, Evelyn Smythe, is talking over it, but it's a pretty good quote. It's, uh, in many places, the coast is rock-bound, tumbled masses of blackish or greenish stuff like the dross from an iron furnace, forming dark clefts and caves into which a ceaseless sea pours a fury of foam and then he goes on a little bit more after they have their conversation a swirl of gray haggard mist amidst which sailing screams flight of an earthly birds heightening the dismal din it, it's very evocative very imagey um it feeds well within the character that big finish is trying to do with the doctor and that's where uh evelyn's uh dialogue goes uh, talking about melville you know, terrible stuff, pompous and overblown. And then the doctor kind of takes umbrage with that, saying, really, Melville's my favorite author. And then Smythe saying, as I said, and the doctor's going, I shall pretend I didn't hear that. It was pompous and overblown. Yeah, they're great. They're they're, they're, they're a great companion doctor pairing, Mm -hmm. those two. Mm Mm-hmm. The opening was very reminiscent, I think, of Spectre of Lanyon Moore, the same kind of banter. So it does come across a little bit samey. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, there's always going to be some sameness mm-hmm. with the same doctor, the same companion, yeah. especially when it's on audio. I felt quite a lot of it. And I think I remember this from the last time I listened to this, which was a very long time ago. Uh-huh. The kind of sound design was a little not as good as... It has been in previous hmm. um, big finishes. And I think the problem with that is is that you've got to have really on-point sound design. Otherwise, it's very, very hard. Not very, very hard. It is harder to move yourself from, you know, a, a village on the Galapagos Islands to a courtroom, to a prison, right. to an underground Silurian hibernation chamber, mm-hmm. to a boat on its way to HMS Beagle to HMS Beagle, to HMS Beagle being attacked by a murka, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of different locations. It's really ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that the kind of setting of everything kind of was was up to that level of ambition. 
Well, I thought Alistair Locke did pretty well with the sound design. Uh, I think where the sound design fell down was the drips and drops inside the prison or in the caves seemed a little over the top and sort of like, well, how else are you going to indicate that you're in the caves or something? But it, it seemed seemed redundant and a little bit annoying, the amount of dripping and dropping that was going on. Yeah, and I would have had would have liked to have more kind of boo, more sort of echoey, mm. big space kind of vibrato if that's a proper way to describe it for you know the mm-hmm. uh, the characters when they are inside kind of big spaces i mean i liked i mean there was a very evocative description of the of the silurian uh, hibernation chamber mm-hmm. but then it was hard to kind of like okay we're in the chamber now we're in their like mm-hmm. laboratory the other thing actually to be honest also i i, I mean i love the silurians yes you do um their voices i find hard to hear on audio hmm Maybe that's just me being hard of hearing. I don't know. But um, I, I I have to like, tr- I'm not try very hard, but you know, I have to, I have to pay attention. Not that I shouldn't, not that I'm not paying attention anyway, but you, but you know what I mean? I have to focus on actually listening to what they're saying. And then that can be, or I have to focus on trying to hear what they're saying. And that can take away from me listening to what they're mm-hmm. saying. Especially when one is a girl. <laughs> Shit. And the other is a boy, Silurian. And I'm not entirely sure why they need to be different sexes, to be honest. Well, because it's prescient of the new series, Silurians, where they have True. Uh, lizard bumps on their fronts. Lizard bumps on the fronts, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so kind of looping back in the sound design before we go to Shivek, uh, I thought... Also, the sound design was good in places where on the HMS Beagle, we have the boards creaking on the ship. That, I thought, came across really well. I thought they worked really well. The original Silurian, a third eye sound effect really well. That was good. Yep, yep. I'm a big fan of the third eye. So um, it was good to have the third eye come back into play again. So I think the sound design was good. Where it fell short, I think, mainly was from script, where we have so much taking place in these prisons or silurian base or different rooms in the silurian base and there probably wasn't enough hints to know that we were in different spaces inside the caverns on the galapagos i'd agree with that yeah okay so yeah we have shivik and tulloch which are our two silurians and I'm guessing there is some kind of relationship between them be other than just uh, Tolik having saved Shovik's life at one point. Yeah. So hang on. I, I, I guess I could have listened to it another time. I mean, one more time, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't fully understand. So, okay. So the bad Silurian, his name is Tulloch. Tulloch Moore out of Terror of the Zygons. <laughs> or or my, uh, my old PE teacher at school, um, Bruce Tulloch. Oh, did you and Morris go to the same school, perhaps? I don't think we did, no. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Bruce Tulloch's most famous claim to fame is he ran barefoot across America. Okay. Look him up. He's on Wikipedia. Did not know that. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, um, so Tulloch, um, so, he's, so he was conducting all these experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, he basically invented humans. Um, made us more tasty. Made us more tasty, <laughs> which I was, which was, a, which was a nice touch. So he was expelled from the Silurian Triad, um, or mm-hmm. you know, Silurian Society, and was kind of a, a left on the surface of the Earth um, as mm-hmm. the Moon approached, etc., 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 etc. And also his creatures were released as well at the same right. time. But then he was saved by Shivak. Mm-hmm. Who then took him back inside again? Yep, yep. And then, how, how did they wake up before everyone else did? 
that was Tolok's revenge. He disabled the timing device so no one else woke up and the tides or the cave system on the Galapagos islands where the Silurians were hibernating were flooded out and the they all Silurians rotted. drowned, they rotted and rotted. drowned. So he's been alive for like hundreds of thousands of years then? Uh, that would be my guess. I'm not sure... I, the timing is always off with the Silurians, especially in this story. Because they say millions at some point, and then the yeah. Doctor then says, like, hundreds of years, and then there's, like, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure Silur- cause Silurians are made up, they're not real. Right. Um, I'm sure they could live for hundreds of thousands of years if we needed them to. Um, Reptiles it, live a long time. Yeah, they do. Maybe you're not quite that long. Um, and, and I think... <laughs> With 100,000 years to spend, he may have, I don't know, it's weird that his plan was, whatever his plan was, was only coming to fruition at this point. Anyway, there was some plot fuzziness that I wasn't really fully enjoying. Yeah. Like all Silurian stories, I think they've been retconned to take place in the Eocene, or is that correct yeah that is correct and the eocene is when i always forget it's 56 to 33 34 million years ago yeah which is kind of a long time ago right and they're talking about referencing that tulloch genetically modified genetically engineered osteopithecus and those uh beings lived about 4.2 1.9 million years ago okay okay and the moon's impact was about the theory with something hitting the right. earth to having the moon. That was 4.5 billion years ago. So it all kind of doesn't work. And this is, this is kind of the original sin that Malcolm Hulk did. He didn't, none of this really fit. Right. right. It's, right. And it was meant to be a one-off story. And then we had warriors of the deep where JNT brought back them, the sea devils and uh, now Jonathan Morris has them coming back, and all the events don't work. And then we go into alternative history where uh, Governor Lawson dies of this uh, bacteria plague that Tulloch has uh, the governor open up a Wild. a box yeah. in. Yeah, and Governor Lawson really didn't die until much later. This 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 story takes place, I think, in 1834. Uh, Five? That's that. I think when the was beagle when was the bee? there. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. I'm yeah, afraid. I yeah. think it was sometime in September of 1835, right. and Lawson doesn't die until 1851. Oh. So, once again, I think this proves that the Doctor Who Earth isn't quite our Earth. We were. He. It's an alternative timeline. Yeah. Where we have different prime ministers, different yeah, different yeah. outcomes in World War Two. It's always alt Earth. I'm fine with Governor Lawson dying a different death. I'm just confused about. I guess my 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 explanation is that some in some way, Tulloch kind of rigged the timer so that it would wake him and Suvak, and some other ones who we don't really hear about, but obviously are around as well. Right. Maybe woke up four of them, and it left everyone else asleep or something. To rot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, relatively recently, because it seems weird that. Only now he would decide he needs to destroy the human race. Yeah. For some reason, for a reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, perfectly fine. I mean, you know, it's, uh, uh, so it seems like he's, he's only woken up relatively recently. And I guess if he's only woken up relatively recently, how did that come about, is my question. 
let's see. The Galapagos weren't always human inhabitant. That's how we had that divergent uh, evolution. Right. Or as as uh, Darwin was saying, the uh, descent through modification. Yeah. Uh, so it could be only when uh, the descendants of Australopithecus landed on the Galapagos that might have triggered something to reawaken the Silurians. There's, there's some hand wavium going on there, you know, which which I'm I guess I'm I was I was just noticing basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The story itself, I think, had a lot of familiar vibes in it. It reminded me, uh, in some places, of uh, the beginning of the Hand of Fear with Tulloch being expelled, just like Eldrad is being expelled. Very Eldradian, yes, definitely. And then we have uh, Darwin. A channeling Fendelman from Image of the Fendel. He'd almost see him, you know, instead of him going, there is no God, mankind's been used or mankind's right. been bred or something like that. So there's a lot of that. A Tulloch, I think, channels his inner Davros quite a bit in scenes. And then we have all these places where uh, in the past, Doctor Who has talked about the origins of humanity from the demons, um, City of Death with Skaroth, uh, Image of the Fendel, go back even to the first story, Unearthly Child, 100,000 BC. We have all this fascination and this focus on the origins of humans, and they're all conflicting origins. Yeah, could be. I mean, I, again, I mean, it's a great... It's a great piece of plot, you know, to have Tulloch mm-hmm. as being the creator of the human race. And again, it's very nicely paired with, you know, Darwin, who kind of has to lose his Christianity in order to kind of embrace origin of species. Mm-hmm. So that works well. But it is kind of like, oh, OK, hang on. Um, I thought there are so many ways that human beings have been created throughout Doctor Who stories. Right. Just just to have another one here is like mm-hmm. it's cool, but it's like, oh, God, really? Yeah, it's a very crowded area. Yeah, and <laughs> and I mean, I think, you know, um, here we go again. We're now going to start re do our usual thing, which is rewriting stuff. I think maybe if Tulloch had woken up relatively recently and had started stealing humans to eat them or something, maybe he's a, he's a bit of a Frankenstein right. and he's kind of like, you know, doing he's doing vivisection. Or, or maybe he's Dr. Moreau. Maybe he's trying to, you know turn the humans into back into reptiles i don't know i mean there's there i think there are other things that could have been done rather than have him be the inventor of humans it's a crowded arena and very crowded i'm not sure it works we're i think the bits that work the best are the bits of horror with when captain fitzroy and the doctor stumble upon the silurian's larder oh that's awesome with yeah. all the hanging corpses that's a good one who that is horror film gruesome scary yick creepy and it should have happened earlier in the story i think yep. it should have happened maybe even in evelyn and darwin stumbling upon that earlier it's it's the pairing of splitting up um Evelyn with her hero uh, Darwin, I think was good, but then saddling Colin Baker with Greta and no disrespect to Jane Goddard, but Greta was a really annoying character. And I know we probably should have felt something when she sacrificed herself to save them from the Mirka, but uh, it was more of a relief that we wouldn't have to hear her anymore because it was just a over-the-top performance, which I'm not sure this story called for. Yeah, I thought both Emilio and Greta were a little bit like... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some cliched Spanish accent 
like um, a Princess Bride or something. It was reminding me of Manuel from Faulty Towers. Yeah, they were very Manuelian. I was <laughs> expecting one of them to say that they reveal that they were in fact from Barcelona um, <laughs> at some point, or that they speak English very good because they learn it from a book. Right. And why they were speaking English anyway? I guess. Well, because it's... It, it's an English-run <laughs> penal co- colony. Um, it isn't. Uh, it's Chilean because Lawson is a Norwegian. He's had American citizenship, and he was employed by the Chilean government to be the governor of the penal colony on Galapagos Islands. Well, you've done your research. <laughs> um, I was, I was, you know, as usual, assuming that my people had, I know, at some point conquered Ecuador um, <laughs> and decided that, that I don't know, the Galapagos would, would be a good place as a penal colony. Um, interesting. Okay, so he's, so he's a Norwegian that the Spanish folk... Hired. Rulers of Chile had... Hired in order to run the penal colony? Yeah, Lawson married a, a Spanish woman, and that's how they wound up in Chile. Interesting. But he is a Norwegian, and I think that's what the accent... So why didn't they give him, like, a comedy Norwegian accent, then? <laughs> like, a, like, the, like the Swedish chef? <laughs> or uh, pining for the fjords? <laughs> pining for the fjords, exactly. I don't know. Was he? Sp- I thought it was supposed to be a Norwegian accent, because it certainly no, didn't it seem... Yorkshire. Was it? Yeah, Yorkshire accent. Oh, okay. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I could. I mean, I'm. <sighs> our listeners probably going to angrily email us now and tell us <laughs> that it was absolutely Norwegian accent. I read it as a Yorkshire accent. Okay. I'm or heard it as a Yorkshire accent. Okay. I just read him as by you know, it's another evil, evil, evil English colonial person. Well, that was my original thought, but then I started kind of delving into uh, fact checking Morris because that's what right. Morris does. He does a lot of research, and I mean, the whole first episode is him going down his research, just going from Darwin's professor at Cambridge, uh, John Stevens Henslow. He talks about the Scottish geologist, Wallace. Uh, Charles Wallace. Lyle. Yeah, at the very end, he talks about look out for Wallace. And he, he references uh, Captain Ambrose Cowley's uh, expedition to the Galapagos like 100 years early. And Cowley was like a buccaneer, but he had noticed that the birds were on the Galapagos Islands were totally un. Right. phased by man mankind or men on them but then when darwin is there they uh you know darwin's hunting them for his specimens of finches that they are right. afraid of humans at that point so morris has he's done his research but he hasn't yeah he hasn't acted on his research well he he's, I mean, he, he's done it he, he's acted upon it he's just he has also a fictional story to tell and charles darwin himself really didn't lose his religion that quickly in an afternoon or a couple days in in the Galapagos. It wasn't until much later, it wasn't even until after or on Origin of the Species was published that he slowly lost his religion. But he was still like on good terms with his local vicar and Oh you had to be on good terms with your local vicar. Yeah. So I don't I just this is this is almost a this is a retcon of Darwin in many ways, I think. Interesting. I'm I'm upset. I I I would have enjoyed Lawson being a Norwegian. I think. Um, <laughs> what what was his first name? Like Lars Lars Lawson or something? No, Did it you... was uh, it, Nicholas. Sorry, Nicholas Lawson. Nic- Nicholas Lawson. It doesn't sound very Norwegian. Maybe he, he changed his name. Changed Norwegian his name. born, American citizen, Chilean appointed. That's oh, he was an American. Well, they should have had him with with an American accent then. No, but he w- lived in Norway for many years up. 
I don't know. Huh. His Wikipedia entry was very skint, and it was very only... <laughs> Surprisingly, sorry. It was only focused on, really, his interaction with, with Darwin. Uh, Darwin. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it was uh, Lawson that suggested that the various different tortoises or finches were different on each island or something like that. Oh, they also tasted differently. Yeah. <laughs> very, yeah, different tastes. Who knows? I, Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I I was thrown. I mean, at the end when they were talking about Alfred Wallace, because Alfred Wallace is a famous painter. And I was thinking, oh, okay, Alfred Wallace, the famous painter. Mm, okay, I don't know why he's being name checked. I mean, I, I think if you and, and I and I only mention that, I'm not. He was a that, naturalist, so. though, too. So well, no, he... Alfred, Alfred Wallace was, was was somewhat completely different. It was Wallace was is actually spelt differently. Um, oh, 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 um, oh, like W A L L I S, and I only mention that because if you do throw in a lot of research-heavy names, mm-hmm. most people are going to go, "What? Who?" Unless you really kind of say who they are, basically. Oh, so you were thinking of the I see the painter Wallace W A L L I S rather than Wallace W A L L A C E, who was absolutely kind of... because why would I? I? I don't know anything about Charles Darwin. Right, but you do know things I about know painters. Things about painters. So. And Alfred Wallace was a, you know, he was an, he was an illiterate fisherman who lived in um, St. Ives around about the ter- kind of early 1920s or so. Um, mm. uh, so they're mm-hmm. like, why would that be relevant? Anyway, so I'm not, I only mention it because, um, as I said, if you're going to throw in a lot of names, then you better make sure people know who those names are. Otherwise, folks are going to, are going to get confused. And if you are going to, I mean, it's interesting. Thank you for doing your research. Um uh, if you are going to use real people, then use real people. If you're going to just use their names and not have them be who they were, i.e. Norwegian and lived a long and happy life as the governor of the penal colony of the Galapagos Islands, rather than be York from Yorkshire and die um, by eaten to death by a bacterium from the beginning of time, then you just, just have him be somebody else. <laughs> that would be my critique. Yeah. Just have it, you know, yeah. be him, you know, be call him like Governor Evil or something. Because that's who he is. Could have been the deputy or somebody. Somebody yes. lost to history. There you go. Yes. The, and like, I don't know. Lawson could have been away on a, I don't know, could have been ill or something. Or just clueless to what's going on, too. Yeah. He could have been like a stupid Norwegian-American. And there'd be like an evil scheming kind of Yorkshire deputy governor who was doing all the evils. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's good. Okay. We re- we, we fixed that. We fixed that one for you, John. <laughs> Again, this had a very classic Who feel to it with the stories already mentioned, but I thought Captain Fitzroy really was channeling the actor. Uh, George Teffler is challenging Nick Courtney as the brigadier. He was uh, kind of the yeah, nice comment. reliable authority figure, but not questioning the doctor. He became the companion for the doctor as soon as Greta uh, Die, thank God. committed suicide by Mirka. Suicide by Mirka. <laughs> Um, was was Fitzroy like a good person in real life? Do we know much about him? He was. He was an interesting man. He'd committed suicide. He used a oh, he uh, used his razor, cutthroat razor, and slit his neck, uh, shaving razor, because um, he was depressed and penniless. Goodness. Yeah, it was rather a sorry outcome for Fitzroy. But he had a pretty distinguished career. He just blew through like four hundred thousand pounds worth of inheritance and died penniless and oh, just really? couldn't face up to it so w- did he have a happy life couldn't, uh, couldn't face don't think, not at the end certainly but he he is uh, uh 
a notable historical figure for his science. Um, I think he did uh, things with meteorology. He's known for making accurate weather predictions. Um, He was a governor of New Zealand. Um, So... So, yes, I think he had an interesting life, but he obviously wasn't happy at the end. He killed himself, um, left his wife and family uh, destitute. His friends, Darwin, I think, kicked in money to help uh, so they wouldn't be in poverty after his death. I think he right. I mean, he was a vice admiral. I mean, he certainly moved up the ranks, but wasn't a happy man. Right. I mean, I only ask because, you know, you know, like mutiny on the bounty, um, you know, British naval officers of this era often <laughs> often weren't the greatest people. Um, mm-hmm. One one understands. Um, but that's interesting. Um, again, um, uh, the listener of our podcast thanks you for <laughs> well, your for your research. It's just a, or your ability to read Wikipedia. Uh, uh, yeah, that's probably. I wouldn't go as far as research. That person who did research with was Johnny Morris. I just did a little bit of follow-up for the podcast. So just out yeah. of interest. The, the casting, uh, the actress who played Shivik, and I wonder if this might be why it was difficult to understand the Silurians because up until this point, Silurians have always been portrayed by a male actor. And so this is yeah. uh, this is uh, new new ground and uh, welcome ground that Big Finish is having a woman play a Silurian. It's uh, Neve McIntosh, who's... Uh, is it Neve McIntosh? I think it's plays? Helen Godwin, isn't it? Well, no, who plays Lady Vastra. Oh, I beg your son. Yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's not important. I'll explain have, later. We... <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, Helen Godwin, who we've heard now, this is our third story with Helen Godwin playing a Big Finish character. So we have this actress who's in the Big Finish troupe of actors. She yep. played Chev in Sword of Orion, as when we first heard. She was the yep. uh, Trice Kelly from uh, Storm Warning, The Aliens. Yep. And she was Nikki Hunter, the girl out walking in Spectre of Landon Moore that got uh, mm-hmm. eaten or destroyed by the the goblin or the specter. And now she's uh, Shivek, which is more of an active role rather than a bit role. And... I didn't notice the first time I listened to us uh, a couple of years ago that it was a, a woman portraying it because with the voice treatment of the Silurians, as you mentioned, it takes a lot of concentration to hear what they're saying. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's weird that they made the decision to kind of call the character out as being female, right? Did they? Did they? I might have missed well, that. Did they? I... I honestly don't recall, and I apologize for that. Or am I just imagining that they did that because I know it's played by a woman? Hmm. If it was, it was later on in the story, and by then it was... To me, the story sagged a bit in episodes two and three. It was a little bit padded out. Episode one is brilliant. I really enjoyed episode one. Yeah, it's a fun episode. Um, Episode two... Uh, my notes really didn't didn't have a lot of a uh, lot of notes there's some really crispy crispy uh dialogue in there and you can see that Morris again doing his research where uh, Dr. Smythe is saying it's sort of a survival of the fittest, kind of prodding along or moving along right, right. Darwin. But Darwin's reaction to what an odd expression, it's more of descent with modification, which is the, the expression that Darwin himself would use. And then I just kept laughing every time the Silurians, especially Tullock, would refer to the HMS Beagle as marine transport. I thought that was... <laughs> Funny, and and he has and he has a submarine as well, which came out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, I don't know where yeah. he he's been keeping his submarine all this time. Maybe he built it. Well, the... Warriors of the Deep. It's uh, it is not a new idea that the that's true. 
Silurians that's have true, a submarine. True. I mean, he's had a couple of million years to work on it, so you know, <laughs> he could have evolved a submarine from like some rocks in that mm-hmm. time. I always thought they kind of, you know, uh, rode on the backs of Mercas or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> and again, I mean, the 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 ending, which you know happens pretty quickly. You know, the Merca basically it's like Zygon style. There's like a yes, bleeper, yes, and the Merca yes. Scarrison style pursues the submersible, you know, with predictable results. That felt to me to be like, uh, hang on, how am I going to end this? Um, when did when was the last time I watched Terror of the Zygons? We'll just do that. That seemed to me to be a little bit, um, a little bit kind of dashed off a little bit. Well, it was again very familiar. It's one of those elements that of classic Who that's worked into these early big finishes. It's not very groundbreaking. Where the groundbreaking bit is is the setting of this historical and maybe even casting a woman a Silurian, but. The story itself is very familiar. It's almost comfort food Doctor Who, but it isn't prepared by mom. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's, rest, it's restaurant right. comfort food, so it tastes sort of good, but it still isn't mom's comfort food. Yeah. I'm just looking up at Helen Goldwyn. She's become a major producer for um, Big Finish, it says here. Well, she has the chops for that. She's been in almost every Big Finish. Yeah, I mean, she's produced like pretty much everything. Um, a lot of Ninth Doctor stuff and Tenth Doctor stuff, Eleventh Doctor stuff, Twelfth yeah, Doctor stuff. Good on her. Companion. Yeah. Pro- uh, yeah she's yeah. So g- g- good for her. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So timely for now that the Silurians want to release a pandemic on the Earth. So perhaps, perhaps someone in Wuhan stumbled across some Silurians and. True. True. <laughs> could it could happen? It could happen. Here's something I've just looked up. So the, 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 the Galapagos Islands are about 20 million years old. Okay. So, but apparently volcanoes have been erupting. So it says, it says here on Wikipedia, which obviously is only, it's only ever completely correct. Mm-hmm. Volcanism has been continuous on the Galapagos Islands for at least 20 million years. That does not sound like a great place to have a Silurian um, hibernation chamber. No. If there's like vol- no. volcanoes going off constantly. So again, one feels possibly, you know, again, we're on the Galapagos Islands because of, well, we know we're on the Galapagos Islands, not because of Darwin. Because of Darwin, exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not because of the Silurians. Not because of Silurians. There. <laughs> what if the Silurians had found out about Darwin somehow yeah. and they were trying to prevent him? No, that, that would be, become timey-wimey Silurians, unfortunately. I don't think Silurians can time travel. Well, no, we, we have Silurians from the far future. Who got got a hold of a time space visualizer? Go back in time, um, and they've they've hijacked a, a Dardis, um, <laughs> a Sidrat or a Sidrat from either the Warlords or from the Daleks, and they've gone back in time. Um, yeah, okay, this it, this writes itself. It writes itself. Perfect. Well, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking something like a Twelve Monkey style, where yeah. he's trying to trying to prevent Darwin from discovering the origins of the species. Yeah, yeah. Because because <laughs> if only because I mean, just like if you assassinate um, uh, King John or whatever it is, you'll prevent the signing of the Magna Carta. Right. Um, if you assassinate <laughs> Charles Darwin, then no one, no one, in all of history would ever have that idea. It was only mm-hmm. Charles Darwin who could mm-hmm. ever have had that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 It's perfect. It's perfect. It's the perfect crime. The perfect crime that only the Silurians could have, in their cold-blooded intensity, mm-hmm. could, and their three eyes, mm-hmm. um, could have ever have pulled off. Now, I was wondering if the moon bit wasn't ever 
stated in this story, and they were talking about it getting colder. So I wonder if we are misplacing the time to be not at the, the Eocene uh, if they were going into hibernation for the ice most age. recent Ice Age. Yeah. Could be. Could be. And that would yeah. jive more with humanity. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Australopithecus was well before the ice, the last Ice Age, wasn't it, really? Cause yeah. The last yeah. Ice Age was Cro-Magnons and Neanderthals and all those, yeah. all those jolly yeah. fellows. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Someone, not us, mm-hmm. um, needs to sit down and do a full Silurian timeline. <laughs> and, and, and we then were the Cybermen were because the Silurians were turned into Cybermen in, uh, in the DWM comics. You know what I should have done for, to prepare for this? And I, I didn't. And too bad because we're not going to review this again. So I'm never going to do this. Well, I probably am after we've finished recording, to be honest. Oh, great. Uh, um, it's, <laughs> that's quality it's, podcasting right that's, there. That's the quality podcasting right there. Um, I should have looked in my, in my well-thumbed copies of Lance Parkin and um, Mad Norwegian Press's um, History of the Universe. Mm, yeah, they are the ones who are the canon keepers. So Lars Pearson and Lance Parkin have been basically doing this timeline for everything. I bet they, I mean, they must have Blood Tide in there because they, they include Big big Finish. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, in fact, they probably got all the Silurian Big Finishes, including the Silurian Candidate and other recent, mm-hmm. more recent Silurian stuff. Um, maybe I'll report back next week. Okay, a little update. If anybody, if anybody cares. <laughs> well, if our listener tunes back in. <laughs> if, our, if, our, if our listener hasn't hurled their... Um, <laughs> their laptop or the wall or iPod or whatever people listen to this thing at the wall at this by, by this point mm-hmm. in the in the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure someone has done this, but yeah, it's 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 unit dating. I mean, people make it a is. huge fuss about unit dating, and I think mm-hmm. you know it's sort of been sorted out in some ways. Um, but Silurian dating, I don't think, has been sorted out properly. Right. Well, we don't even know if they are hermaphrodites or what they do for their dating customs. That's true. That's true. That's true. And we we know that some of them, at some point, um, the lady Silurians started lactating like mammals do, which sounds weird. It could have been Tullock's experimentation. Maybe he liked those sexy, sexy lady bumps. (laughs) (laughs) He decided decided to make them look sexier Um, for no reason at all, really, other than... He his own personal like preference. Yeah, because he's a... He's the a Silurian di- male gaze. The Silurian male gaze. There you go, Tullock. You've got a lot to answer for. <laughs> that was his ultimate crime. That's why he was expelled. He was. He was. That... Okay, again, it starts to write itself. It starts to write itself. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I don't want to pretend to be the writer because Morris does have some really good lines in him. And I think the best one... or. Um, I think all writers, or maybe not all writers, but many writers who write for Doctor Who always likes giving the Doctor a big speech. Uh, Moffat always did it with uh, Smith and Capaldi. Right. Uh, Bob Holmes has the indomitable speech from Ark in Space. And this is, uh, I think, Morris's speech at the end of the cliffhanger when uh, episode three, when Darwin is saying, uh, you know, the setup is a god responsible for nothing may as well be no god at all do you not agree doctor and um, professor smice goes well doctor and the doctor he plays it coy i don't know but i'll tell you one thing in the skies above us are millions of suns each circled by their own worlds and on those worlds wherever there is the opportunity for life you will find it 
That is the miracle. Life endures. It thrives. It defeats every adversity. It creates order out of chaos. Above us is a universe full of wonder. And Aww. that's that's really nice uh, sentiment. Very Good words to put into Colin Baker as the doctor's mouth. So that's and then the cliffhanger. And we haven't had a we haven't had one of these in a while. But then Tullock goes in saying, "I created you. I am your god." You know, and we go into the credits right there. That's that's a really good uh, audio verbal uh, literary cliffhanger. Nice poetic, uh, nice uh, speech by the doctor. And then we had the baddie for the story. Uh, no surprise it's a Silurian, but going and saying, I'm your God, I'm your creator, I created you through my genetic engineering. Rah. Yeah, it's good. No, there's, I mean, there's some great bits. And I think in conclusion, mm-hmm. summing up, the research is excellent. Um, the writing is very good. There's some great speeches. The plotting is just a bit pants, basically. And I think in some ways, as I think you've, you've sort of already pointed out, maybe Morris was more interested in um, the Doctor meeting Charles Darwin and also meeting the Silurians than actually anything else, actually mm. having a story, if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah. I think it smacks of a a new writer. This is, I think, yeah, perhaps true. the first yep. Doctor Who fiction that uh, Morris wrote, even though Festival of Death came out uh, previous year. I believe this was commissioned before it. I think this is just a writer of fiction brimming full of ideas and not really stringing it together. And it's really a testament to the crew at Big Finish, uh, Gary Russell's direction. I think even the the music and sound design that Alistair Locke does that really ties this together and makes it listenable. And then again, we have this wonderful duel of Maggie Stables of Evelyn Smythe and Colin Baker as the doctor. That's worth the price of admission, which is what? Two pounds ninety nine or whatever it is. One well, pound I mean, forty nine. It's on sale now. It's it's definitely worth that to give this a listen to just for that. Well, this conversation. Is, I will read something out from the big book of Big Finish right here. Um, mm-hmm. I was approached by Gary Russell. He says, which was a rather brave thing for him to do because I was an untried writer who'd just done some bits and bobs of radio comedy. My only problem was the brief to write a six Doctor story with Silurians and Sea Devils was that you couldn't have just have one Siler and a one Sea Devil, so at least four of my cast would be tied up playing different EO scenes. I wouldn't have anyone left to play human beings, so I agreed they would either be Silurians or Sea Devils, and I told Gary that I preferred the Sea Devils. And so Silurians it was. <laughs> I wanted monsters and scary bits, uh, and gobsmacking cliffhangers, and most of all, I wanted to have a go at Doctor Who's peculiar four-part formula of set-up situation, set-up threat, run around and resolution so there you go mm-hmm. uh, i also wanted to write something with a point to it something with subtext that i could run with a theme that i could explore and develop something that would engage the intelligence part of the listener's brain hmm. so you know well, I, mean, I think i, I think I, he does he, that you know, i mean and he, and he, he, he he does all that but again as you <laughs> as you pointed out you know this is and as he has just pointed out in me imitating his voice there that um you know he hadn't done it before right yeah and it shows yeah which is fine. I mean, you know, again, it's hard. I couldn't write this. Oh, God, no. No. So, you know, I mean, I, I could, you know, I could obviously fix it, but I couldn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, it's it has good writing. It has just nicely crafted lines, writerly lines, with Tullock saying, your minds are but clay in my hands. The doctor's saying, that's history, all of human life, just a candle in the darkness. It's There, there are nice poetic images 
maybe even cliched images with the clay in my hands, but it's it's nicely worked in. Even the quote from Melville to start it out is an it's a nice quote. It's an evocative quote. Uh, the pacing, the plotting, saddling the doctor with Greta. Uh, some of these are new writer mistakes, I think. Yeah. But overall, very pleasant listen to. Yeah. And it's certainly, I think, worth it just for Colin Baker and uh, Maggie Stables. Yeah. They're brilliant in it. And just uh, Maggie Stables being paired with, with Darwin's kind of away from the action from for quite a bit. But then the doctor trusts her enough to go off and sabotage the submarine, putting the Merca recall device in there. Yep. And then Maggie Stables uh, doing her I'm under hypnotic influence uh, deadpan shtick was it made it was laugh out loud funny to me that she very good yeah unconvincing to the listener but totally fools the Silurians. yeah so. Silurians, they're not they're not good at reading human emotions they're no, good at reading Silurian emotions but not no. human ones well that's a lack of that third eye yeah exactly without the third eye they can't really tell what's going on how can you tell, can you we, tell? All exactly. we all look the same exactly we all look the same, look to, the same to them all right excellent so well. next week uh, might be another quiz of Rassilon if we decide to enter if we can whip together a team, but uh, I think as a topic, we might look at sideways treks and who. Yes. So yes. what, like uh, uh, Planet of the Giants comes to mind. Yeah, and I can do it as you, and you can do it as me. Oh. <laughs> or we all could grow beards, and it'd be like a Star Trek universe where we're the evil versions of ourselves. Well, speak for yourself. Since <laughs> I've been quarantining for the past month and a bit, I already, I already have a beard. Really? Well, that's... I do have a, I have a That is giant. impressive. I know a giant, a giant, giant. Well, not giant yet, but it's certainly mm. it's on its way. I mean, I am gonna before I shave it off when all this awfulness is over. Um, I am planning to shave it off as a goatee to start with, just to see whether I can do a del- a, a Van Dyke, style, a master, a master style beard. Yep, uh-huh. we'll have to see. You're not looking like a uh, Ford and Arthur on uh, prehistoric Earth. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> big lumberjack in seattle there uh, yeah exactly I'll get, get, get my plaid shirts out yeah i haven't grown a beard since it started turning gray and i'm not sure i want to see a gray beard you quite see a yet. gray beard anymore look like yeah. gandalf or something gandalf like that. yes gandalf the gray <laughs> all right uh, all right so sideways who next week and uh see see where that goes Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 156 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been uh, flashing my third eye in the direction of Ben. And I have been unleashing the murka <laughs> on David. Excellent. Until next week. Farewell. Farewell.